Well, I'll tell you, he reminds me on a regular basis that I'm just human. But he needs to remind me that you are, because maybe I expect too much out of some folk. And uh, so I want to do something for you today. I kind of feel like, in the day in which we live, I kind of feel like a square peg in a round hole. That's probably why I like those reality shows. Uh, I haven't caught up with uh, social media yet. In fact, I don't even know where my phone is. And many times folk come to our church and they're looking for one thing and as Gomer would say, surprise, surprise, surprise. They say they want to hear preaching. And then they hear what I interpret as preaching. Then they don't want preaching. Kind of like a lady visited our church several years ago. And before the service, she said to me, I'm looking for a church that is alive. After the service, I was shaking hands and she left. And I said, well, what do you think? She said, not that alive. So I thought I'd just take the Bible and kind of go through a few subjects and talk to you today about biblical preaching. Preacher one day was driving by an insane asylum. He saw a fellow out there in the insane asylum. And uh, he was talking to him and his car broke down right outside the Saying asylum, and the guy was looking at him. And the inmate leaned over the fence and said, uh, What do you do? The preacher looked at him and said, Well, I'm a preacher. The man said, Have you ever tried going crazy? The preacher said, No. The inmate said, It sure beats preaching. Sometimes, folk look at me like, preacher, you're crazy. So I thought I'd just let you in on the biblical secret. What is biblical preaching? If you're looking for your kind of preaching, you're in the wrong place. If you're looking for my kind of preaching, you're in the wrong place. You need to be here today because you're looking for God's kind of preaching. Amen. Now look in your Bible, look in your Bible, Second Timothy chapter number four, please, and I'll hurry. I know there's a ball game or four on today. So I'll help you and hurry real good. The Bible says, Paul writing to young Timothy, he said, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing of his kingdom, 
preach the word. He didn't tell Timothy to preach his own ideas. He didn't tell him to preach his own philosophies. He told young Timothy, preach the word. If you have a Bible in your hand, that's what he's talking about. Preach the Bible. Not just the parts of the Bible that makes us feel good. Notice what he said. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Biblical preaching should contain reprovement. Why would you come to church wanting a preacher to tell you you're doing right when you know good and well you're doing wrong? Now, I know why you guys bring your wives to church. You want me to straighten them out for you. That ain't working on mine, so why should it work on yours? Reprove. Rebuke. That's saying you're wrong. You're going the wrong direction. You're going to have a wreck. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Encourage. With all long suffering and doctrine, Bible teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or sound Bible preaching. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Now, I have chosen three sermons in the Word of God. I'm going to take excerpts from a sermon that a preacher preached, an excerpt from a sermon a deacon preached, and an excerpt from a sermon that a missionary preached. But they're all biblical. Turn your Bible to the book of Acts, if you would please, chapter number 2. Preacher, what is biblical preaching? Preacher, what should I expect when I go to church? Reprovement, rebuking, exhorting. Notice, if you would please, in Acts chapter number 2, and we have a preacher preaching. And we're just going to take an excerpt from that. And for just a little while this morning, I'm going to give you just a very short synopsis of what biblical preaching is all about. Somebody likes monotone preaching. Some folks like yelling preach. Some preachers get wide open when they start and for an hour and a half they just yell and scream. When I went to church as a kid, those preachers used to preach an hour and a half, eat a chicken and a half, throw their coat a mile and a half and just have a heyday. But now we are in a more subdued society, more intellectual, more of a affluent situation and some folks don't like loud preaching some folks just like monotone preaching and teaching and what have you 
It's not the manner, it's the content we ought to be concerned about. Notice now, if you would please, Peter is preaching. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And the Bible says, and this is what he says in verse number 14. The Bible says, but Peter standing up with the eleven, lift up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my word. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. And then he goes on to preach in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 36. And the Bible says he continues to preach. Verse 36, he says this, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God hath made this same Jesus. Now watch this. This same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter is preaching to the same folks that just 50 days before hung Jesus on the cross. 50 days before, they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They hung him on the cross. Now Pentecost has come to pass, and the Spirit of God has fallen throngs of people now have gathered and the apostle Peter stands up and preaches to that crowd and in verse 36 he said therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ that's the cause look at the effect in verse 41 what happens when you have Bible preaching then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Biblical preaching always produces conviction and conversion. Conviction and conversion. Now that's a preacher preaching. Let's listen to a deacon. Acts chapter 7. Look in your Bible now. That way you know what to expect next time you come to church or next time you go to church. Notice Acts chapter number 7. A deacon now is preaching. A deacon now is telling a bunch of Jews about Jesus. And a deacon begins to preach. And notice how soft and tender and kind he is. Verse 51. Ye stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. I bet there's a lot of shouting at that, don't you? I bet there's a lot of hallelujah. Thank God I come to the service today with that preacher, don't you? Well, that's the cause. Let's look at the effect. Look down, if you would, please, in verse number 57. Then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now there is a deacon that is stoned. 
Biblical preaching don't always make you feel good. Biblical preaching may not produce conversion in some cases, but biblical preaching will always produce conviction. These didn't choose to get saved. These chose to do their own thing. And so they took Stephen and they stoned him. Now notice, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Biblical preaching is always true. A missionary now is preaching in Acts chapter 26. His name is the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26. A missionary is preaching. And the missionary in Acts chapter 26 and he begins preaching. And in verse number 21, the Bible says, For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. What's he doing? He's just preaching the word. Preaching the word. Verse 22, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and the great, saying other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Now look at verse 28. Biblical preaching will always produce conviction, but it'll be up to you if it produces conversion. Biblical preaching will always show you the error of your ways. It will not produce a decision for you to be a new creature in Christ. Notice verse 28. And Agrippa, repair, rep, re, uh, responded in this manner to biblical preaching. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I wonder how many today could sit in this place and tell me, Preacher, I've, I've heard the preaching. I know what I ought to do, but I'm just not ready. Almost persuaded. Either that or you get mad and angry and respond in a negative way and try to kill the preacher. Well, man, man, I tell you this place, I need to warm you up. I tell you, you folk must, must feel like I look. Now on three, we'll all say amen on this over here. Let this crowd see what we're supposed to do when we go to church. Got that? You folks awake now. Watch this. On three, let's all of us say amen. You ready? On three. Three. <laughs> see that? These folks are actually happy they came to church today. How do you respond when the message goes just a dab longer? What do you expect when you come to church? Have we been entertained so long that we 
come to be entertained. And if we are not entertained, we are not pleased. We have come a long way, baby. Why are you here? Why did we turn on all of these lights and air conditioning, pay upwards of $10,000 a month for electricity? Was it so you can show me that I'm a little long on my preaching? We rejoice when a ball game goes into extra time. We want to kill the preacher when he goes into extra time. I'm just, and I'm not chewing you out, folks. If we're going to have revival in our church, we're going to have to know what revival is all about. And we've asked a Bible preacher to come and preach for us. And he will preach. He'll preach like a tomcat to hold his toe. And he will just romp and stomp and slobber and jump and probably do didos on the platform. Uh, but uh, I, I just, preacher, why do you preach like you do? The best Bible preachers I know, when they preach, they have a definite purpose for preaching. And it is not to fill 40 minutes of time. It is not to please you. We do not deal in a satisfied customer at Joshua Baptist Church. We deal with a satisfied God. We're not here to please anybody but the Lord. He did not tell me to preach my idea or your idea. He told me to preach the Word. But it seems like even though we might have a purpose in the preaching, it seems like that some folk just do not want to apply it to their life. A preacher went soul winning out in the country one day, drove up to a farm. He goes up to the farm, and the farmer's working on his plow, and the horse is tied to the plow. And he says to the farmer, Farmer, sir, are you a Christian? He said, no, sir, they live three farms down. No, 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 no. She said, that's not what I'm trying to get off. Sir, are you lost? The fellow said, no, sir. I've been living here for 30 years. The man's confused. The preacher said, I can't get this guy lost at all. He said, now, what I'm really wanting to know, preacher, I mean, sir, are you ready for judgment day? The farmer looked at him and said, well, when is it? The preacher said, well, it couldn't be today or tomorrow. He said, well, you find out. Tell me. My wife will want to go both days. <laughs> it just seemed like whatever I preach, uh, it just don't settle in. It seemed like we bring our bucket and we throw it across our shoulder to the folk that's behind us. God knows he couldn't be preaching to me because I don't need it. And you wasted four to five minutes of your time and mine today if you don't need it. What is biblical preaching? Now, I, I'm new at this. I haven't been doing it very long. I think this is my 49th year of preaching the gospel. And the longer I'm in it, the dumber I realize I must have been when I got in it. Because I... 
I could, I could make more money selling ransom jackets to mosquitoes than I make in the ministry, if money's what it's all about. Amen. Now, let me give you, after almost 50 years of preaching the gospel, after 50 years of studying the Word of God, after almost 50 years of face-to-face, nose-to-nose, eyeball-to-eyeball, talking to people about Jesus Christ and how wonderful He is, and seeing folks saved, I'm telling you, I've had folks saved, you, you wouldn't believe. I preached one time in Fort Worth, Texas at the church I used to pastor. And there's a fellow walked down the aisle and had one arm gone. And he knelt at the altar and laid his pistol on the altar. I thought we was having a gun sale. And I led that fellow to Christ. I had no idea it was the biggest dope pusher in Fort Worth. I had no idea that in the early 70s he was bringing pickup trucks full of marijuana across the border and selling in Fort Worth. I had no idea he was living with a witch and just left his wife and kids without anybody. Got his arm blowed off working at the power company and grabbed the wire and the electricity blew his right arm plumb off. He's kneeling at the altar there with a gun. Begging Jesus to save him. Amen. Yeah. Strangest thing happened. He went home and kicked the witch out and went home to his family. I saw him at Rolling Hills Baptist Church about 10 years later. He walked up and said, Preacher, man, it's good to see you. I said, What are you doing? He said, I'm in seminary. God has called me to preach. I'm going to preach the gospel. Man, this is a wonderful gospel we preach. Fifty years of stories of illustration like that. But I think every sermon you hear ought to include four different things. Number one, I think every sermon that I preach ought to include someplace in it, somewhere, the darkness of damnation. Nobody likes to hear about hell. Well, yet nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to hear about hell. I didn't come to church to hear about hell. Well, I'm sorry, but the Bible talks about it very regularly. Did you know that Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? Do you know that Jesus said this about hell? That hell was outer darkness where men gnash their teeth and weep throughout eternity. Three times, Matthew, he says, that it's a place where outer darkness, where men Yes, and weep. Uh, he's talked about it and said in hell they were tormented. Do you know what Jesus said about the darkness of hell, the awfulness of hell? He said one occasion, if your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to enter into life, man, than enter into hell with all of your hands. You don't hear anything about hell anymore. You don't hear anything about damnation. You don't hear anything about suffering. You don't hear anything. Nobody wants to hear about that. They want to go to a social club where the Bible is not preached. They want to go to some place where they tell how good they are. But the Bible talks about hell. Jesus said it's better to go to hell with one leg as to enter into life with two. Then you need to realize that the darkness of damnation. 
But nobody ever includes that anymore. I bet it. I bet if I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you watch Christian television? Then I ask you, how long has it been since you heard the word hell mentioned? It would be a long, long time ago. Hell is what them old preachers preach about. Hell is what them old-timey preachers talked about. Hell is what Jesus warned about. Hell is what Jesus talked about, where the one dies not and the fire is not quenched. Hell is what Jesus talked about when he said, I am tormented in these flames. Hell is what John the Beloved talked about where it said, And their smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Hell is what Jesus talked about when he said, It is the second death into the lake of fire. How many folks goes to church and hears and listens to an old-fashioned old sermon? Well, they get mad at me because I preach on hell. Yeah. Ain't there something nice you can preach in the Bible? Yeah, how to miss hell. Amen. Did you know that hell is hell? Do you know that's where the devil's going to live forever? You know that's where a whoremonger, rapist, murder, adulterer, thief, fraudulent, dirty, vile, individual, it's going to be throughout eternity. You want that to be your neighbor? Well, you ought to thank me for talking about it. You ought to thank me for telling your kids, you don't have to go there. And I think every sermon ought to include in it the darkness of damnation. I mean the terribleness of sin. And I believe with all of my heart, ladies and gentlemen, we need to talk about it. It's a plain truth in the Word of God, but there's no truth harder to get across and to persuade people that it's a fact, Jack. If I do not get saved, if I do not accept Christ as my personal Savior, then the Bible said the wages of sin is death. And the Bible speaks of a second death, a second death. And whosoever not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go there. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want any of my kids going there. I don't know about you, but I don't want any of my family going there. And I don't know about you, but I don't want any of your family going there. And that's why we send buses to every city bordering Joshua. That's why we're buying buses. We'll buy more buses. That's why we'll send thousands of dollars to the mission field. That's why we'll go sowing it every week and put 50 to 60 or 75 people in the streets knocking on doors saying, Hey, why don't you come and go to heaven with me? That's better than saying, Why don't you go to hell with me? Because hell is reality. And Jesus once spoke up. Amen. Well, what time is it? Oh, man, time for the kickoff. Boot off or something. Is there anybody here who will agree with me? That we need to talk about the darkness, the awfulness, the ugliness, the absolute terribleness of hell. We need to talk about it. I think every sermon ought to include something about hell in it. And you say, preacher, uh, you preach a little loud. Well, now let me explain something to you. We are probably the result of our upbringing. 
Amen. Now, I, I put a, a little sign on pulpit down at the other church years ago, and it said, remember, be kind. So I, I want to be kind. Because where I came from, uh, I kind of got a background where that, you know, I just was not very kind. And so I wanted to be kind. So then I laid my Bible on it, couldn't see it, forgot all about it. We need to include in our preaching the awfulness, the terribleness, the danger of outer darkness. I don't want to see anybody go there. I'm willing to spend and be spent to talk to anybody about being saved and about being free from that terrible place called hell. I think also I, I need to close, but I, I want to talk to you. Every sermon you ought to hear at a Baptist church, not only ought it to include the darkness of damnation, but we also ought to include the delusion of this world. Our kids are being lied to. We are being lied to. How many of you are old enough to remember the commercial on television, Marlboro Country? Any of you remember? That's where old Quigley down under ever got down under. That's where he started, is on a Marlboro commercial. They put that sheepskin jacket. What's his name? Somebody tell me what Quigley's name in Hollywood is. I'm not going to tell you how, how, how you've been watching it. I've been watching it. I just can't remember. <laughs> tell me what's his name. And that's it. Oh, square-jawed, good-looking like me, Tom Selleck. <laughs> they put that good-looking booger on a $50,000 quarter horse, sitting on a $15,000 saddle. How much does that hat cost, Brother Bruce? Several hundred dollars. Several hundred dollar hat on his head. Riding out across the prairie. Making you think if you'll smoke wheelbarrows, you'll be a Tom. You know what they'll do if he's honest? Put a 90-year-old woman with no teeth in her mouth, sitting on a white mule with no saddle, saying, this is what Marlboro will do for you. How many Marlboros would they sell? You are living and I am living in a commercial, motivated society. And the devil owns it all. And he is a deceiver and he will lie to you. He will paint it so pretty that you think that you just died and gone to heaven. The only thing is, you died but you didn't go to heaven. The devil is slick. This world will tell you a lie. Years ago, I found out I was watching a football game. They wanted made me support United Way. Until I did some research and found out they were supporting the aged homosexual movement in our senior citizens. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you mad. You ever heard of Planned Parenthood? Who's so interested in you ladies' health? Oh, yes. What are you girls going to do without Planned Parenthood that will take care of you medically, physically? Oh, by the way, free abortions. Delusion. The daddy of delusion is the devil. He's a deceiver, a liar, and a murderer from the beginning. And I think we need, and, and, and folk will get mad at you if you warn them about hell. Now, I know we're not supposed to beat children. If my daddy was still alive, I'd turn him in. Even as old as I am, I would say, he abused me when I was a kid. One time for being afraid to go outside at night and get a slop jar. Now, you don't even know what a slop jar is, but you know what it is? Have you ever been whipped for not going and getting one? You ought to have been. <laughs> My mama, she forgot to ask if she could get them willow switches and whoop me with them. I'm talking about not whipped, whooped. Difference in whipped and whooped. My daddy explained that to me a long time ago. Did I ever explain it to you? Difference between whipped and whooped. If you whip a guy till you turn him loose, he'll always be back. But if you whoop him till he gets loose, he will never come back. The delusion that if you don't make these darling little angels just let them do whatever they want to do because they're individuals. After all, they got friends down at school that knows more than mom and dad. So, don't you dare tell them kids no. You will warp their mental capacity. You'll put a scar on them if you tell them they can't. That's what the world is saying. Any folk ever heard of Dr. Spock? Yeah, it didn't work. Amen. Isn't it amazing that before my daddy would take me to the woodshed, I would repent in sackcloth and ashes? And get on my hands and knees in a repentive spirit and said, Daddy, I will never, never, never do that again. Could it be I might have known I was wrong? That's not what the world said. The world will lie to us. It will promise us happiness give us nothing but heartbreak. Promise companionship down at work and give us a divorce at home. You see, you're either going to serve one head is Jesus or the other one, the devil. The Bible said the devil is the prince and power of this earth, this world. He's the God of this world. And Satan works 
overtime at his job. Have no time. Satan employs others to help him at his job. Satan never quits. Never gives up. I was talking to a young man in Grand Prairie about the Lord. He wasn't of the Baptist faith. They went to another church, but none of them were saved, so I just took for granted that maybe they needed to be saved. I was sitting on the couch with the young man, had the New Testament open and explained to him that there was none righteous, no, not one, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then I told him, wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. So death by sin, so death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. He's sitting on the couch, a dead man, didn't know it. I just opened to chapter 10, verse 13, and said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now watch this. The devil never quits. The devil never quits. The devil never quits. I looked at him. I said, Young man, would you like to bow your head right now and accept Christ as your Savior? He said, Yes, sir, I would. He bowed his head. And his mother, who had been listening in the kitchen all the time, came through the living room as that young man bowed his head to invite Christ in his heart with a large dishpan and a large wood spoon. Bow! Bow! Bang! Bang! Think that guy got saved? No, sir. Mama said, I'd rather fight God to go to hell than to be a Baptist. Never don't quit. He's telling you right now, you all right. He's telling you right now, you've got all kinds of time. He's telling right now that preacher is ignorant. He don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, but I'm having more fun than you are. Because tonight I'll lay my head down. With all the assurance of an eternal word from God. That if I should die before I awake, I know for sure my soul he'll take. Are you listening to me? You say, I'm mad at you. Well, scratch you mad and get over it. I'm just telling you this because I love you and would like for you to go to heaven with me. And you're not going without you go Jesus' way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I think every sermon ought to include those two things. Have you got them down there, son? And you know you can't pass seminary if you don't have them down. Okay. Let me check now, Lord. Okay. Give him a pass of green. Could I have an amen? Is there anybody here believe and, and will vindicate what the preacher said? Well, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I think every sermon ought to include the delight of salvation. It is a joy to be saved. I'm telling you, it is a joy to be saved. To be saved. I remember a fellow at the beautiful gate that day, Acts chapter number 3. The Bible said when Peter and John went by and talked to him, and Peter reached down and took him by the hand, and, and power hit him, and his life was changed. He got saved, and he jumped up, and the next verse said he went running and leaping and praising God in the temple. 
That's probably why a lot of folk don't believe us, because we've lost our leap. We've lost our jump. We become so dignified in the Baptist church, we have become petrified. God help us if anybody shouts around here. Amen. Now, this is supposed to be true. It was told to me as it was true. We have a missionary in old Mexico used to have by the name of Lanny Ashcroft. Now there ain't no telling where he is. But his kids are on the mission field, and I bet Lanny's somewhere down there. If you've never been on the mission field, you ought to go one time to watch these missionaries go out into these villages, and they'll pass out information, and they'll invite everybody to a preaching service somewhere in the village. They'll show the Jesus film. And those folk will embrace the Lord Jesus and get saved. One night, just uh, scores of folk came forward and got saved. Well, the next night, they did the same thing. And one of the fellows who came the night before came back, came down to the altar and wanted to get saved again. And Lanny and his men tried to explain to the man that you only need to get saved once. Because when you get saved once, all of your sins are forgiven. And they asked the man, didn't they explain to you last night? Of course, the man's name is Poncho, right? Poncho, didn't you come last night? Yes, sir. Did you get saved last night? Yes, sir. Then, Poncho, why did you come back tonight? Poncho said, because it felt so good, I wanted to do it again. It felt so good. I want to do it again. All my sins are gone. Cast behind the back of God, never to be looked at again. Cast into the deepest sea, never to be raised again. And cast as far from the mind of God as the east is from the west. A continual forgiveness. Thank God. If I walk in the light, he sees the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, cleanses me from all sin. I bet you thought I've always been a holy joke. One advantage of being like me, you don't know how much fun sin is. Because you never participated in it. And that's the last lie I've told. The darkness of damnation. Don't believe a preacher if he tells you they ain't no place called hell. Don't you have any confidence in a guy that want to warn that does not want to warn you a place called hell? Don't you dare participate in any situation that denies the existence of hell. To deny the existence of hell is to deny the very truth of Jesus Christ. Deny Jesus Christ is to deny everything the Bible talks about. Every sermon ought to include the darkness of damnation, the delusion of this world, hmm? and the delight of being saved. Amen. The delight of being saved. 
Is there anybody here today glad that you've been saved? Ah, come on. I'm talking about really glad that you've been saved. I'm talking about glad you're missing hell and got a home in heaven. Down Hallelujah Boulevard, just inside the gates of pearl on the streets of gold. Somewhere, ladies and gentlemen, in heaven, there's a mailbox with Wolfenbarger on it, and it's spelt right. To God be the glory. Amen. I close for the fourth time, and the five, fifth time, and the last time. Every sermon ought to include the danger of delay. The danger, the foolishness of delay. But just a few years ago, I was asked to go to the bedside of a man. If you get on high, Interstate 35 coming south, off of Interstate 20, to the right-hand side of the road, there's a liquor store there and a motel. I was asked by one of his employees to go visit him in the hospital. I would tell you his last name, but I don't want to do that. A very wealthy man, a very successful man, but a lost man. And I walked into the hospital room, not knowing what to expect. There laying on the bed was a huge man, and his stomach probably six or eight times its normal size. They got him strapped to the bed. His left arm is loose. He's frailing, cursing, trying to hit the nurses, trying to get himself free. And I walked over to him and said, Sir, and he began to curse, frail that arm. And I was not able to talk to him at all. And I asked the nurse, I said, nurse, would, this is before the HIPAA. I don't know what a HIPAA is, but this is before the HIPAA. And I said, ma'am, what's the diagnosis? He got cirrhosis of the liver, she said. And the reason his stomach is so swollen, stomach so swollen is because his liver cannot maintain the toxics and the poison of the alcohol. A wealthy man. A deceived man. A dying man. Because he said, I'll do it when I feel like it. I'll get saved when I feel like it. But now his mind is gone. raven, wild man. And I can't even tell him how much Jesus loves him. Could I let you in on Bible truth and I'll close? You'll not get saved when you want to. You either get saved when God wants you to. Or you'll hit hell wide open. Yeah, I can handle it, you say. No, you can't. One time I was broke and going to pawn my golf, golf clubs. Buddy, when a preacher go, pawns his golf clubs, he's broke. 
Went down where the old Joe, St. Joe's Hospital was. I'm going to hop my golf clubs. The guy knows I'm a preacher. I go in there and say, how much you give me these clubs? I say, what's wrong, preacher? Your God can't take care of you? That's not a thing. I hit him right in the mouth. <laughs> Found out he bleeds just like it. No, I didn't. <laughs> so he said, you probably did. No, I didn't. I didn't. He said, I'll tell you one thing. Your God ought to be able to take care of you. You shouldn't have to hock your golf clubs. I said, by the way, are you a Christian? You know what he told me? He said, I'd rather die and go to hell than go to heaven with you hypocrites. That's what I told me. What's your answer for that? I'd rather die and go to hell than to go to heaven with all you hypocrites. I said, really? Hypocrite? Yeah, okay. He was smoking a cigar about this long. He didn't know which was smoking which. Both of them were smoking. I said, do you have a cigarette lighter I could borrow? He said, yes, sir. I said, could I borrow it? He had one of them flamethrowers, you know, get adjusted. I think they used it in World War II. <laughs> I got that flamethrower, and I cracked that thing down, because he's going to go to hell, because he'll only go to heaven with me. Yeah, he, he's brave. He, he's going to go. I took that flamethrower, and I got that flame about that far out, and I grabbed his coat started saved on fire. <laughs> he called me names that I didn't even know was religious. <laughs> I said, I may be all those things you call me, and I may be a hypocrite, but you're a stinking liar. You can't even stand that coated on fire. And you're going to go to hell? You're going to go to hell all right. It's going to be much hotter than that coat would have been. You say, what did he do? Kick me out of his pawn shop. <laughs> the danger of delay. The delusion of the world. The delight of salvation. Darkness of damnation.